Today we'll uh, talk about Donatism, which is a heresy. So usually I, I try to pick a certain church father, but today we'll do kind of a heretical movement, which, uh, although uh, one might be tempted to say, well, why talk about some obscure heresy that uh, took place in some corner of the world a long time ago? Uh, because uh, the reason is because the principles involved in Donatism uh, are sort of a constant temptation to Christians and one that uh, is easily recognizable in our own uh, situation today. In fact, in, in uh, Donatism, in its very different forms, it's very prominent, actually, in uh, the Orthodox world uh, right now. So it's, uh, it's a useful thing to talk about, the Church's position on Donatism, because it's, it's sort of... Uh, gives us a perspective with which to look at the Orthodox world today. Uh, Donatism was a, is a result, it's a kind of rigorous uh, movement that originated in the time of the Great Persecution under the Emperor Diocletian, uh, which started in 303. And uh, ended, well, in uh, ultimately with the victory of Constantine, I suppose, uh, but actually with the, the initial phase of the persecution ended in uh, 311 with the death of Galerius. But uh, the uh, location of Donatism, there were, there were really uh, two very similar schism schismatic movements that occurred uh, during this persecution, Donatism, which took place in North Africa around uh, Carthage, and uh, uh, the Miletian Schism in, uh, in, in Egypt. The Miletian Schism uh, was actually healed within a fairly short time under the patriarch uh, Athanasius the Great and has a lot to do with his uh, history. So I'll talk about the Miletian Schism probably when I, today I discuss uh, St. Athanasius because he is very involved with that. But the principles were very similar uh, in that the, of a group breaking away from the church because it felt that the church's uh, response to the persecutions was not strict enough. Donatism uh, persisted until uh, the end of Christianity uh, ended in North Africa during the time of the Muslim conquest. It's actually one of the very few places uh, where Christianity existed. Actually, North Africa was one of the places where Christianity was very strongly entrenched. It's one of the most solidly Christian places at the time of the persecution. But uh, it's, then what happens is by the time you get to the Muslim invasions, Christianity uh, during, under the Muslims ceases to exist in North Africa. And probably uh, the Donatist uh, schism is a large part perhaps of why that was so because the Christian church became divided there. Uh, the Donatist uh, approach uh, I think uh, ultimately weakened the church so that it was then susceptible to, uh, to under Islam to disappear. But that's uh, uh, kind of comes comes later. Now, 
what happened is that during the, the beginning of the Diocletian persecution, started out before people were starting to be killed, the first thing was that the emperor ordered that the, the church buildings be destroyed and also that uh, the scriptures be uh, given up by the church and, and they are destroyed. So uh, the first thing is okay, the loss of the uh, destruction of scripture and the uh, people actually when you read the accounts of the uh, of the persecution you see that the uh, Romans actually were very thorough in going around and, and collected a lot of scriptural books and that's why actually most of our when we today when you look at a, a Bible that you know has a text that has reference to the early text of critical texts almost everything goes back to the fourth century because the fourth century is the time of Constantine is when the persecution ended and they started again copying all the texts and those texts survived but the texts before the persecution are mostly gone uh, there are some a few exceptions mostly fragments of papyrus from uh, Egypt but the so the police would go around and they would kind of go to each church and, and find the, uh, the homes of the clergy and collect all the scriptures. Now, the people, though, who handed the scriptures over were called, uh, from the church's point of view, they called them traditors, or, uh, or that is, handoverers, or in our, uh, in English, kind of related to the word traitors, uh, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, not really a political term, it has to do with handing over the scriptures. Uh, and there were some places in, in North Africa, uh, there were many clergy who tried to resist the imperial troops, and then there were those many who handed them over. And the uh, attitude on, on the part of some of the, the people, specific, particularly those who were resisting, was that those who handed the scriptures over to the government uh, were traitors, essentially just the same as apostates. Uh, although this was not really the church's uh, position, that, that uh, the surrender of the scriptures wasn't equated with apostasy, but to the minds of uh, some of the people, the zealous people who were, were giving, being arrested and maybe put to death because they wouldn't uh, hand them over, they, they saw uh, giving up the scriptures as sort of the equivalent of betraying the Christian faith. So there comes a, a movement, a, a sort of uh, a rejection of these, of the traditors. Now, what is kind of behind this is that North Africa had a very strong Christian presence, but it had a, a Christian church that was somewhat different uh, from, so it had some different influences than the rest of the Christian world. One uh, thing is that the first kind of uh, Latin church father who uh, uh, lived in North Africa, in Carthage, uh, Tertullian, uh, ultimately himself uh, left the church in 211 AD and joined a group called the Montanists, which were 
uh, a second century group in, that lived in, uh, in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey that had created a schism from the church uh, partly based on the revelations, supposed revelations to Montanus, but also to the sense that they were uh, living a superior, uh, a stricter life than the rest of the church. And so it was a, a kind of a, a sect based on a kind of idea that, uh, that, they, that the regular church was too lax and they had rules, special rules that the rest of the church didn't have that, uh, that made their group uh, sort of uh, more pure than the whole, the whole church. So you have a kind of a idea of, a, of a, a sect. And they, they used to, interestingly, they, for what we'll see, they called themselves the Church of the Martyrs, uh, which is the name... Uh, that the Donatists will call themselves <laughs> as opposed to the church of the traditors which they would call the rest of the church but, but Tertullian uh, becomes he's a, living in Carthage he becomes a Montanist kind of after the Montanists are sort of past their peak in, in uh, Turkey and he leaves the church and writes books about why uh, you know why the church sort of has departed from, isn't stri living, you know, teaching as strictly as they should. And he had uh, special rules. He, was, he believed there was, should be no second marriage and also that people who committed uh, mortal sins, such as adultery and murder, uh, should never be allowed back into the church, that, there, that there's no possibility of repentance for those people. And, of course, so he died but outside the church. And, uh, but he was influential because he was the only he was a very prominent uh, member of the Church of North Africa. He was the kind of uh, only really uh, major church writer for that period in, that, in the Latin language. And so a few years later when another uh, convert uh, becomes uh, prominent and actually becomes the Archbishop of Carthage, Cyprian in 250 and starts writing himself. He also uh, becomes an important church writer. He, he quotes, when he quotes the master, uh, he's not talking uh, about Christ or something, he's talking about Tertullian as you know, the church father, sort of that's uh, besides, so he has the scriptures and he has Tertullian. Now he avoids Tertullian's particular heresies, but, but he maintains the kind of a, a sect, somewhat of a kind of sectarian approach, although he doesn't uh, form a sect, but he has some ideas about the church that were not accepted by the church. One of the, uh, the ideas that he introduced was sort of the rebaptism of uh, of heretics who joined the church. And although uh, the church does uh, now rebaptize those who come from non-Christian groups. Uh, the church's practice before Cyprian and the church's practice today uh, has been that those who are uh, Christians, Trinitarian Christians, are not rebaptized. But Tertullian uh, had the idea that anyone who was outside of uh, sort of the strict 
uh, let's say, boundaries of the, of the church, uh, that they uh, could not receive grace, that there was, that there was no, no grace. And that therefore, so even if they were baptized as Christians, they were not actually Christians. They, never, they were received, they weren't, uh, they weren't capable of receiving anything until after they'd come to church. So therefore, all uh, sacraments only could exist within the church. It's kind of a, a very sort of a, a kind of rigid idea of, of God's kind of uh, grace only being available within a certain, the context of the uh, institutional church, which in one way, there's some truth to that, but uh, in another way, the church... Uh, did not accept this idea. Actually, even the defenders of rebaptism, it's interesting, who supported Cyprian, didn't support his idea there. But they said no, that the uh, people who are Christians, who are not members of the church, when they join the church, they are received by chrismation. Now, another uh, idea of Cyprian's, which follows somewhat from Tertullian, was that if the, uh, uh, a priest or, or bishop were unworthy, then, uh, and Tertullian kind of used this as a, as a justification for leaving the church, that the, that the bishops of the churches were not strict enough, so therefore he had to leave and form his own group, uh, which was affiliated with the Montanists. And Cyprian, uh, not leaving the church, but said that, well, if there are any clergy who are not worthy, their sacraments are not valid, and that it is the obligation of the faithful to leave those people and not to, uh, not to participate in any sacraments with them. So his idea was that the, the sacrament is dependent on the uh, worthiness of the clergy. And the other... Uh, Yes, in his uh, letters, uh, he teaches. And the other thing that Tertullian and Cyprian have is that the church, one of the key characteristics of the church is that it's holy, and we believe this in the creed, that the one holy Catholic apostolic church. But to them, the, uh, the holiness of the church had to be embodied in its uh, people and particularly its, its uh, clergy. And if there was any uh, lapse you know, or any kind of, I mean, the clergy, that this would pollute the church and the church would lose its essential holiness. So, therefore, uh, people in the church had to be very vigilant to uh, get rid of any people who did not measure up because it would pollute, they would pollute the church. Now, in Cyprian's lifetime, that didn't cause him any initial, any problem. He didn't end up leaving the church or anything. But when you get to the Donatist, uh, period to the to the time of the persecution, where some of the clergy uh, turned over the scriptures, this uh, theology became comes important because well then what what does that mean that okay so some of the clergy haven't uh, been worthy let's say they they gave over the scriptures and so some of the people in North Africa started saying uh, that if that. Uh, that first off, that if there are any if there are any clergy who did that, that we shouldn't go to communion with them, we shouldn't have anything to do with them, 
And second, that if anyone remains in communion with those clergy, then they will not be able to go to heaven. So uh, this is kind of was among, uh, this wasn't an official decision, this was among the lay people, uh, in fact, a group of the people who uh, resisted the traitors, resisted handing over the scriptures, they then made a statement after they were arrested that no one should, uh, so reject, so that no one should be in communion uh, uh, with the traditors and also that the communion of the, the communion of the traditors would uh, deprive anyone in communion with them of salvation. Uh, so, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, which they to lose would lose salvation. Uh, I don't know how to write that simply, but now. Uh, this, well, this is a mistake, this, this whole approach, but it's a, and a mistake that led to very serious consequences because um, there were a number of, of clergy who did that. And oddly enough, it, 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 took, it, it took its uh, outcome in a very kind of strange way because uh, among the people who were, trot the bishops who were traditors, uh, a number of them became Donatists, you see, and uh, the the one who that they rejected uh, was not a traditor, but it was uh, someone who was consecrated uh, Archbishop of, of Carthage, but one of the three consecrating bishops had been accused of being a traditor, of handing over the scriptures. And although uh, numerous councils and inquiries uh, all actually showed that this, this person didn't do that, uh, the, uh, the strange thing is, is that the the uh, the accusation of one of that one of the consecrating bishops had been a traditor uh, led to the Donatist led to the rejection not only of the consecration of that archbishop, uh, his name was Castilian, uh but um, who himself had not done that, but. It, he was rejected based on this possibility that one of his of his uh, consecrators had had been a traitor. But the and therefore, since the church kind of in doing the investigation said, "Well, no, he's not a traitor. There's nothing wrong with this bishop. We're all." Uh, therefore, the, that led the Donatists to say, "Okay, well, insofar as people are the churches are in communion with Sicilian, the Archbishop." They're in communion with this, this the, the bishop who consecrated him, who might be a traditor, and therefore, uh, all of they've all lost the grace of God, and so therefore, the church in the entire world is now polluted and is no longer the Orthodox Church, and we alone who reject this archbishop, we're the only uh, Christians left, and so, the Donatists, uh, well, because it's not only that they consider themselves. Uh, the true church, but because they're using the theology of, of Cyprian, that since they are the true church uh, and grace only exi can exist in the true church, therefore they came to think of the rest of the Orthodox Church as pagans. Uh, in fact, the using the analogy of the Canaanites, you know, that they were Israel and the rest were the Canaanites, because they all had lost their grace and become outside the church, and therefore, by losing grace, had lost all contact with God by being outside the bonds, and 
And so it, uh, it becomes this, again, like kind of Cyprian makes this very sharp distinction between where God is and everywhere else, any, you know, anywhere else, he's absolutely not. And uh, so that the Donatist uh, schism become, become, which it's sort of strange because, of course, it turns out the Archbishop Trichelian had, you know, there really wasn't any traditors involved, and the Donatists themselves had traditor bishops, but uh, despite that fact, uh, most of North Africa became Donatists in the next uh, hundred years or so, and uh, there were a number of, uh, of councils meant to try to uh, resolve this problem, but the Donatists ended up, since the Donatists were constantly being condemned and the councils were always deciding on the side of Archbishop, uh, the Archbishop, the Donatists just rejected those councils and, and went on till, and, uh, until finally the Africa was taken over by the Vandals and later the Muslims. Some of the um, uh, things that come out of the uh, the church's response to Donatism is sort of several uh, rejections of Donatist principles. But uh, I would just say, uh, if you think about it, there's there's actually the Donatist principles are applicable today in, in many places. I've, I've often, uh, there's several, there's one uh, famous uh, bishop uh, said that outside, okay, says outside of the Orthodox Church, everything is unmitigated darkness. Well, this is exactly what Cyprian was saying, that, you know, sort of the grace of God can only exist here and that God has, there's nothing at all. And, and the church uh, rejects that because we make that distinction between when people convert between non-Christian heretics and Christian heretics. And we receive them differently because precisely uh, we do see the possibility that people have become Christian. Second, we also talk about the preparation for the gospel among the Old Testament Hebrews and among the Greeks and among all the different nations, how God's grace has worked with these people to prepare them. So we have uh, a kind of broader idea of God's activity and not that uh, God has completely rejected everybody outside of a certain group. Uh, second, the idea we often, I don't know if you've heard, but I have there, someone will say, you know, some particular ecclesiastical thing is being done differently, and they'll say, oh, well, there's no salvation in that group over there. Uh, and this is, there's, in one case, it was because of uh, some country had adopted the new calendar. Well, there's no longer any salvation in that country. A, uh, some hierarchical monk told me. <laughs> so, because, so salvation is no longer possible now because, the, because they're not on the old calendar. And this is, um, uh, again, it's very similar that you, you kind of draw the line and once somebody crosses the line, well, you've, you've, you know, even though the church is crossing the, you know, that line, say, well, then the church is no longer the church. And this is, a, first off, it's artificial because uh, the church is defined by the teachings of uh, Christ, the teachings of the creed, the teachings of, of the gospel, and not uh, particularly on, even on one 
uh, issue, particularly an issue of, of practice, in this case, uh, the, the traditor, whether the bishop was a traditor or not, uh, even if he had been a, tr a traditor who was one who consecrated, uh, that would not mean that the church was no longer the church. And the same thing with a, a, a disciplinary issue like a calendar or, or uh, kind of vestments to wear or something like that. That's not going to mean that because even if they made a, even if they made a mistake, even if they should have done it differently, it doesn't end the church being the church, because the church uh, is the receptacle of the whole tradition. When it rejects that tradition, when it rejects Christ or rejects uh, the, the teachings of the church regarding uh, the faith, then uh, one could say, well, okay, they're they're leaving the faith, becoming heretical. But at a particular point of practice a disagreement or even a mistake is not something that ends the church's existence. The other uh, side of this is that the uh, church's existence and God's grace within the church is not dependent upon the individual ministers. The Donatist argument was that since uh, one of the consecrators had been unworthy, therefore, uh, that made the sacrament of the his consec the consecration was therefore invalid. Well, even first off, we don't believe that because we we believe that uh, the consecrations and the ordination, uh, the uh, communion, the grace of God, and the baptism and chrismation comes from the Holy Spirit, not from the minister. So the minister, uh, the priest, is let's say uh, baptizing someone, and then we find out that well. The priest was really an atheist, or he's really uh, was a, had some kind of terrible sin. That doesn't mean, oh well, then we need to go uh, get rebaptized re by another priest because this one this one was no good. But no, we say, well, uh, th that poor priest, you know, is going to perhaps uh, be judged by God, but the person who was baptized by him in the church uh, still received the grace of God from the church. He did, you know, he didn't uh, lose that grace because of the unworthiness of the minister. And then the other uh, side of this is this sort of theory of contamination where, okay, let's say even if we granted that this guy was no good and, okay, so maybe the Archbishop Tertullian, even let's say, okay, maybe he's, his consecration really wasn't valid, but which it was. Uh, the implication of the Dantists is that the error of one is if, if the rest of the church does not excommunicate that person in error, then the uh, the sort of the, that uh, error that cuts that person off from the grace of God, then proceeds to cut the entire church. Everyone in communion with Him and communion extending all over the world is now gone. And this argument uh, I've often heard in regards to uh, ecumenism that. Well, there are, you know, there's, there are bishops, there are people in uh, some of the Orthodox churches, let's say, who not only who participate in ecumenical activities, or perhaps even worse, uh, believe in the idea that the Orthodox Church should just be united to other churches uh, on a political basis, rather than having, let's say, the other churches adopt Orthodoxy, which of course would be fine, but. Uh, they say, well, the fact that there's a person who, who believes that and he hasn't been excommunicated, well, then that means that that, that heresy now you know, contaminates 
everyone who's in communion with them. And so therefore, all of the Orthodox churches around the world who are all in communion together have all been uh, brought into heresy by the mistake of this bishop or priest over here. And again, we don't, uh, we don't have uh, this idea of contamination uh, spreading the church uh, as a whole, uh, confesses the Orthodox faith and preserves it. We can often, we know historically that there are always, uh, there are heretics, there's uh, bishops that are often teaching heresy, there's uh, people who are not heretics but teach mistakes. Uh, think of St. Augustine, I mean, and many of the, of the fathers, I mean, uh, Cyprian himself, for example, we call him St. Cyprian, but the church did not accept his teaching on, on this point, and, uh, and others, saints, Augustine, we reject you know, it seems like most of what he wrote, but uh, we still consider him a saint. But if you would use this contamination theory, well then the first one that you get to where the church did not condemn him, uh, well, okay, so he had an error, and then everyone now who was in communion with Cyprian for you know, over the next 2,000 years, well, you know, none of those people are, are Christians anymore because of that connection. And that's just not how the church operates. We, we recognize that individuals, even saints, uh, can be wrong on, on things. They are, they're all sins are individual, humans are individually have shortcomings. And we just accept that, that that's normal. But that the church as a whole uh, preserves its teachings and uh, uh, in cases, yes, where some group uh, adopts other teachings and, and leaves the church, that's different, but, with the, but the church as a whole preserves the teachings of Christ and remains the church and remains the uh, vehicle of God's grace despite the errors of individuals, despite uh, sins of individuals, the unworthiness of, of individuals. And, uh, and so that's why... Uh, we end up kind of with this division, uh, you know, the between sort of world orthodoxy, which seems uh, the the criticism, you know, whether of the Montanists or the Donatists or the Miletians or today, uh, you know, we have the they, these these groups, Montanists and Donatists, call themselves the Church of the Martyrs versus the Church of the Traditors, you know, uh, Church of the Traitors, and then. We have today the churches that are the pure Orthodox Church or the true Orthodox Church versus those regular Orthodox people. Uh, it's where uh, taking certain characteristics where we want to define ourselves as better than the Orthodox Church as a whole. Somehow we want to have be more pure, which is good that individually we want to be more we want to uh, repent and we want to be more pure than we are, but the uh, heresy is where we, we reject those. Uh, we use the occasions, uh, let's say the shortcomings of others, as an excuse for uh, breaking ourselves away from the church and setting up a kind of uh, elite church, which uh, then uh, you know, tries to set itself apart from the overall church and, and recruit or whatever, they fundraise or whatever they're doing, you know, but the, this, uh, it's a common problem you, and we, we just have it today. It's, uh, it's uh, coming from 
very similar, uh, I guess, sort of human uh, characteristics of wanting to, uh, to have something better. And of course, we can always find things in uh, the people around us and the church around us that, that aren't, you know, there's something wrong. There's always some, uh, either the person's not as good as they should be or there's some, we'll find some point of practice uh, where that person is uh, taking a shortcut or, you know, doing something, cutting something out. And so we just make that one point, the dividing line. What's interesting is that there's never... Uh, you know, practice is never really perfect. If you uh, go to some of the, ever have experience with the uh, the super pure Orthodox churches, is that I mean, ultimately, there's always you know everything. There are all the humans. Everybody's human, and so there's always something that where we're uh, not doing everything kind of to the fullest possible because it's just how it is. But but you that these people sort of make the choice of of picking certain things that become as sort of dividing line to create a justification, essentially, for a, a sect. And the result of the sect, actually, from modern times, is that, I mean, Tertullian ultimately kind of had a, even though he officially was calling himself a Montanist, I mean, essentially, his church was pretty much himself. And uh, today, in the, uh, let's say, old calendarist world, you have kind of these, con- you know, you have this constant divisions of groups breaking away from groups, um, beca- and... Uh, I have a friend who, you know, where the uh, his uh, godfather of his son, you know, came to him later. He was in the, the synod, and he came to him later and said, "Oh well, I'm no longer the godfather of your son because now I'm in another group, and you know, we our group believes that the synod is uh, has no grace at all because it's ec- too ecumenical, because it you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't say that the other Orthodox." Churches have no grace, so therefore it has no grace. So the group that he was in last week, you know, and he became the godfather, now now that group has no grace, so your son's actually not baptized, and too bad, you know. It just, um, it's sort of, well, it's just kind of this it's drawing the lines smaller and smaller until, in many cases, you know, you're, you're left with the... Uh, uh, in one, you're, 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 you know, you're kind of on your own. Usually, it is a common problem uh, with people in those I groups. I argue that is a Protestantism, uh-huh. ostensibly to right to find the one true church. Yes, that's right, and I think it's it's a, and it's it is converts that often have this problem. I think it's because uh, they're looking for the, the historical church. They find it, but then um, they're susceptible still to this sectarian idea. Well, look around you. You know, not everything in this church is perfect. You know, well, we have the this is the the truer church over here, and so then you move, and then there's something wrong there. So there's somebody who's even you know got a more true church over further over, and uh, that's I guess the thing is when we, in the church we have to uh, recognize that historically the sectarian temptation is not part of the Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church re- rejects that. Uh, this rejects that whole uh, process of looking around to find uh, either unworthy, again, unworthy people or individual uh, shortcomings or errors as a basis for a more true, a tr- kind of a, a, a higher church. We, we are the Orthodox Church because we are 
uh, established by Christ and the apostles. We preserve their teachings and we are uh, carrying that tradition on. And it's not because of some exemplary, because we somehow fulfill some exemplary characteristics that we're able to uh, say, oh, we're you know, just better than everybody else and that's why we're, we alone have this. It's, no, it's because we, we're, uh, we're just preserving what Christ established, that's all, and not, not, uh, not of some special worthiness on our part. And so we have to, in, in, in looking at what is orthodoxy, we have to reject, uh, the only way to kind of persevere in the church is to see uh, the sectarian uh, temptation for what it is and that is a temptation to leave the church and enter into uh, a group of related heresies that uh, really create, create uh, uh, groups outside the church that's alright any questions repeat the questions too because you're the only mic oh oh okay, okay I guess I, I have several uh, where does the word donatism from. Okay. It was a person's name. Yeah, it was the um, uh, Numidian bishops uh, appointed uh, when after when Cecilian was was made archbishop, they appointed first somebody named uh, Majorinus, but he only lived a short time, and then uh, the name Donatism comes from the next archbishop, which was Donatus of uh, Casse Nigre, uh, I guess sort of black house uh, that was. Uh, a person in, in North African church, he became the archbishop, and then he was archbishop for quite a while, and he was a very uh, outspoken person and, and really sort of formulated uh, Donatist principles and kind of established the church. So it, it, the church became no, I mean, they didn't call themselves Donatists, they called themselves the, the, uh, the Church of the Martyrs, but that's, uh, that's how we know them by, the, by their sort of most prominent uh, founder. And if the uh, the main root of the uh, separation was uh, people being in communion with predators, uh, if they had bishops that were predators, how how does that work? I'm saying, did the other okay. people not know they were right? Predators? Yes, that's true. It came out uh, later. I mean, I guess some people knew, but uh, they were initially. Uh, you know, kind of up in arms about this archbishop, so they were grouped together to sort of form another church. But then it sort of came out afterwards, well, wait, wait a minute, you know, the people who are doing this yourselves are, are trotters. And that was, uh, of course, something the uh, Orthodox Church tried to point out. Interestingly, though, the uh, Donatist Church pretty much took over North Africa for a long time. Uh, Actually, one of the good things that St. Augustine did was he managed to help uh, push back Donatism somewhat before the Vandal attack. But, uh, but the, it's, it's a good indication that the, uh, let's say, points of argument, you know, that, that the, the pretexts for these uh, sects often have not very much... Uh, uh, reality in, in kind of defining what, you know what what's going on. The uh, these things there's usually something that's brought up. Oh, this is why you know we have to uh, have a different church. But then you know when you look at what's going on, there's no uh, 
you know, there's no logical justification sometimes, just often that people, uh, there's a, a kind of psychological pull to wanting to be in a uh, elite church. And so uh, often uh, people <laughs> leave very good parishes to go into perhaps even, you know, less good parishes because they imagine that they're going into something that's more spiritual for reasons that, you know, are often fallacious. But just, I mean, but even that kind of evaluation that you should be, you know, trying to find the most spiritual parish or something, it's, it's a whole wrong approach. We just, we're in the church because we're in the church. And, uh, you know, that not, we're not trying to find uh, some place that's above the church or, or some, uh, I mean, of course, as an individual, you might choose to go to a particular parish, but not, uh, but, the, but the justification I'm talking about for a, for a schism. Besides not wanting to be in communion with Protestants, what are the other consequences? Okay. Um, well, one of the uh, things was they, they were doing actually that got them condemned. I, I should say the Council of Arles in um, I think 314 uh, was very interesting in that not only kind of rejected uh, the. Uh, the, the uh, Donatist position on the Archbishop of Carthage, but uh, several things. One was that it uh, said that you know, although it, in fact itself uh, uh, deposed traditors, it said that sacraments performed by them prior to their deposition are valid, because what makes the sacrament valid is that the minister of the sacrament is a clergyman of the church, not that he's personally worthy. So while he was in the church, whatever he did uh, is a sacrament, and then when he, then he leaves. The other was the, uh, this, the rebaptism of heretics uh, was specifically uh, condemned at the Council of Arles, and the, uh, the position of Cyprian uh, was, uh, on this was, was uh, condemned, and the position of St. Stephen of Rome was endorsed of the, uh, that, that heretics, uh, Trinitarian, Trinitarian heretics are received by chrismation. Or in this case, uh, laying on of hands, or what they call it in the West, confirmation. Uh, the Donatists, other than this, they were, their primary uh, problems were the uh, you know this sort of ecclesiology rather than any other, you know kind of special uh, other doc theological doctrines uh, the uh, other they did engage and was apparently they were the Donatists became mostly identified with the rural countryside and uh, there was a group of people called the Circumcellians who may have been some kind of uh, semi-monastic people uh, that lived around uh, shrines in the in the north in Africa, and they did um, apparently began sort of terrorizing the uh, landowners who remained in the Orthodox Church, and uh, trying to basically prevent the landowners from collecting, uh, you know, rents and uh, debts and things and. And also driving out uh, the what they were doing was driving out the Orthodox clergy from the churches and taking the churches over. Uh, 
so that was another problem that came later that kind of got them in trouble with the imperial government was the Oh, and other thing they were doing was they were, because of this, of this idea that the church had now left, not only was the, were the Orthodox Church wrong, but the Orthodox Church has ceased to be Christian. So they therefore uh, rebaptized uh, Orthodox people. So if you were a member of the Orthodox Church and you wanted to become a member of the Donatist Church, you had to be baptized as a Donatist and also the clergy uh, reordained because they uh, you know, felt enough that, the, uh, that everyone outside the Donatist church was no longer the church. They actually then, uh, the Donatists set up missions to, uh, they had their own bishop in Rome and uh, set up churches in, in Gaul and Spain uh, because they considered that all of orthodoxy around the world was now uh, apostate because of, this, because of this consecration. And so therefore... Uh, that you know, the, since the Donatists were the only Christians left in the world, they had to now you know missionize the rest of the world. But uh, mainly, uh, Donatism mostly only existed in North Africa on a large scale. There were Donatist communities in these other places, but they didn't last very long. So, did the Donatists completely cease to exist at some point, or are there actually still yeah. no. kind of communities that have continuity back to the original Donatists? Well, there are no more Christian communities in North Africa from ancient times. So uh, Donatism, though, uh, although it did continue to exist in Numidia, I think which would be about modern Morocco, uh, into the time of the Vandals, the German conquest, and uh, up until then the Byzantines conquered it back, uh, which is the, under Justinian. But then uh, when it fell, it fell to the Muslims in about 660s, I think. And when that happened, uh, Christianity gradually just died out there. Uh, also, well, partly I think was that there was the uh, the time of the Crusades, uh, the France was landing on North African coast, and that may have uh, whatever Christianity was left, I think, kind of got wiped out in the backlash to that. We know that the areas that were sort of the the uh, in Numidia, which was the Donatist heartland, uh, Numidia would be kind of over here. Um, that those communities seem to have just continued, you know, right up till the end of uh, Christianity in the region. But, uh, but in the kind of area around Carthage, apparently it, uh, with the uh, uh, invasion of the Vandals were Arians, and then when the Vandals were driven out, you don't hear much about the Donatists after uh, uh, the Byzantine reconquest in uh, the 530s that was and then so but but at the time between up between this between the time of the persecution and the time of Augustine which was in Augustine's lifetime is when the vandals took over uh, the donatists were the dominant church in uh, in North Africa which kind of uh, sad i mean it leads you a kind of uh, we like to think of uh, you know, heresy is always sort of being overcome, and uh, you know everybody kind of being uh, brought to repentance and very quickly. But it doesn't always happen that way, and uh, we end up with you know uh, places. Uh, as, as I said, that the uh, church you know kind of just ceases to exist. We were talking about the uh, church dying out in North Africa, and they aren't any today with 
meant to exclude Egypt. Yes, right. This is, I'm, yeah, I'm only talking about North Africa, I'm sorry, I mean really this, uh, the western area. Egypt uh, develops in a completely different way. This is uh, maybe Tunisia and. Uh, is there any other questions? Yes. Um, how would you relate Donatism to uh, developments in the next millennium? Ah, well, I mean, Donatism. I mean, so we have a, don a kind of Donatism with us right now in our in our church. We're talking about the old calendarist movement. Uh, fortunately, I'd say you know the good part is that that there's been a certain amount of um, repentance. You know that some of these groups that have cut themselves off from the Orthodox Church have are moving back into communion with the church, and uh, or and I think that's that's very good. Now, I think though that the temptation will always uh, exist, and and there's uh, what I what I fear is that the the principles of the Donatist, the idea that that uh, you know if the uh, hierarchy or you know people don't measure up, that there's still the idea that well we can just leave and form our own church, that that principle still is, exists because we've you know we've there's there's so many of those groups and they are. Uh, very vocal. I mean, they they make their their living by uh, either recruiting people or funds from the rest of the uh, Orthodox world. <laughs> so they they um, have put this ideology out in in different forms and and uh, and also there's not just Donatism, but there's other uh, problems of of in uh, that cause groups to splinter out. But uh, I think it's just a question of of uh, whether Orthodox people will, uh, especially converts, will you know, will or well, even in the people in, in coming out in the communist uh, lands, to be able to make uh, the theological distinction uh, between kind of the Orthodox uh, sort of Catholicity, this this preservation of the whole church, preserving the tradition versus um, the sectarian approach. That's uh, and because in the communist, post-communist world, you have people that have not had a lot of instruction. You have a church leaders that are often discredited by their association with the communists, and of course that offers a very uh, fertile ground for uh, either cults or sectarian people to create uh, groups for their own benefit. And of course in America, it's also we've had it just because it, here uh, there's so many. People that are, you know, are coming into the Orthodox Church for the first time and uh, are easily misled. <laughs>